0: The launch of Shimano R9200 Series Dura-Ace and R8100 Series Ultegra is not simply an effort to make one-time bike setup easier or to unveil new technology for the sake of creating buzz. Instead, it represents a holistic approach that is 100% performance focused. Thousands of engineering decisions and refinements over the course of several years were made with the singular aim of making you faster. This is the science of speed, Shimano's design philosophy for its latest road groups. It is comprised of five elements. A new Di2 platform, a refined interface, the addition of Hyperglide Plus, a category redefining brake system, and a collection of new wheels. The result is a clean wireless cockpit, faster shifting, enhanced brake control, and quicker, more stable wheels. Top that with an easy-to-use eTube Project smartphone app, and connecting you with your bike and enjoying the ride has never been better. This is the science of speed, and it's what sets Shimano apart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vela News Podcast. I'm Ben Delaney, coming to you from the outside offices in Boulder, Colorado, and we've got a great show for you today. Talking to Nielsen Paulus, fresh off his fifth place at the World Championships, and Elisa Balsamo, the women's world champion who is racing this week at the Women's Tour. But first, can we talk about paris FIMs Femmes and paris What a fantastic weekend of racing that was. If you haven't seen these races, stop this podcast right now go find those replays and watch those races because they are so many things about what make bike racing great. Personally, I enjoyed the the bike stuff being a bike nerd. Both Lizzie Dagnan, the women's winner, and Sonny Cabrelli, the men's winner, were on tubeless tires for the first time ever. Lizzie had a 30 mil Pirelli tubeless and she was also on a one-by bike, you know, SRAM drivetrain with a a 50-tooth front ring. And then she also had... Ellipse, the satellite shifters glued to the tops of our handlebars. So just some some cool geeky stuff that we detailed on velonews.com. Sonica Caprilli was on Continental's just released uh, Grand Prix 5000 STR tubeless series. We tested uh, the last version of the Continental tires as well as 14 other Peru Bay race tires in the Wheel Energy Lab recently, and have those results. Up on site. It was interesting that the specialized clinchers, the turbo cotton clinchers, were the fastest on test, but unfortunately for DeCunic Quick Step, who raced those, they also suffered a lot of flats on those tires. The Continental GP5000, the second fastest in the test, uh, proved to be the lucky tire on the day for Sonny Cabrelli. So obviously, the gear does not win the race, but it uh, can't win the race without it. So. It's just a fun intersection of those those things going on. Another thing I enjoyed very much about this weekend was Florian Vermisch. Who the heck is Florian Vermeesh? You may be asking, at least if you were watching the race this last weekend, you may have asked your television or your computer screen. Andrew Hood is here for you, my friends. He has got a good piece on exactly who the heck is Florian Vermeesh, the history student, town council member, and darn near close to the winner, Coming in second place at Peru Bay over the weekend. One bit of gravel bike news we've got today. The Specialized launched the world's lightest gravel bike, the new Crux. Coming in at just 725 grams for a size 56 frame. Those of you who have raced cyclocross or at least paid attention to cyclocross may be asking, wasn't the Crux the cyclocross bike? For Specialized? Why, yes, it is. And now this new crux is the gravel-slash-cyclocross bike for Specialized, falling on the heels of Cannondale, whose new Super 6 Evo SE is a gravel-slash-cross bike. It's interesting for me in that we've seen for the last couple years brands very adamantly insisting that a gravel bike and a cyclocross are two very different things, and you must buy both of them. And now we're saying, hey, you can do both of those things on one bike. The... Crux is basically the Athos with more tire clearance. If you're familiar with the the Athos, it's the super light 585 gram uh, work of art by uh, longtime engineer Peter Denk, who was at Cannondale for a while and is now at Specialized. Uh, and this new machine, the Specialized Crux is crazy light, building up its sub 16 pound complete bike uh, with 47 mil of tire clearance. The bottom bracket's a little bit higher than the Diverge, which continues on the line, Um, but unlike the Diverge, which has a ton of storage and bolt-on boxes, the Crux, like the Athos, is just distilled down to the ultra minimalist round tube, get it as light and as stiff as you can uh, package. You can read about that news and my review on the bike on the site right now. Now, speaking of that Cannondale Super 6 Evo, we've seen Ted King racing that bike at uh, Steamboat Gravel, and he recently completed this 415-mile mega hopper madness on that bike. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Nielsen Paulus is also interested in getting in on that Super 6 Evo SE action and racing some gravel. We speak to him about that and the World Championships and some other stuff in this interview right now. Nielsen Paulus, welcome to the VeloNews podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Now, now, where in the world are you? You've, you've, you've had a, a busy 2021 uh, racing many, many days. We, uh, most of our mm-hmm. VeloNews audience enjoyed watching you race to fifth at worlds and certainly want to talk about that. Uh, but first, uh, catch us up on, on where you are. You went straight into a, a handful of one day Italian races. So where in the world are you right now, Nielsen? <laughs> um,
1: I am just out just sort of between Milan and like Como, uh, in a city called Busto Arcesia. And this is kind of the, the home base for the team for the next, um, has been for about a week and it will be for this next week as well, as we, um, yeah, like you said, we're doing a series of one-day races here in Italy, and uh, I just came down here straight after Worlds. And-
0: now, listeners, you obviously are just listening, not seeing, but uh, I'm looking at Nielsen, who is you know sitting in a hallway of a hotel, trying to make the best of, of poor Euro hotel Wi-Fi. So, so thanks for that. Just, just one more <laughs> example of uh, how bike racers just get it done, however need be. So, I <laughs> appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> Accommodating us, and if, if if the if the audio gets a little yeah. scratchy, that's yeah, no that's that's why readers or listeners, because we've got uh, hotel Wi Fi that we're working off here. So now, <laughs> now, b- before we we jump into worlds, uh, I just want to bring our listeners up to speed, just in case folks haven't been following your career. It's been pretty successful in uh, just the last handful of years, starting in 2016, you raced with Action, um, then moved to mm-hmm. Auto Jumbo, and then uh, to EF in, in 2020. You started off, you have won Joe Martin stage race in 2016, Best Young Rider Tour California, and one stages of Tour de l'Avenir, Redlands, Tour de Beaux. Uh, you were the U23 national road champion in 2017, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, bring it up to this year, you won Classic at San Sebastian, fifth at uh, UAE Tour, and then fifth at World Championships. The World Championships this year in yeah, Flanders, yeah. this was you know, certainly not your first Worlds, uh, but it was historic in many ways coming out of the, the COVID lockdown. And, you know, the fans certainly had one perspective, but I'm curious as, as to what your perspective was like as a racer, having raced many quiet roads this year, you know, what, what was the atmosphere like? at Flanders for you?
1: I mean, it was definitely one of the loudest world championships I've attended now. Um, I've raced mountain bike world championships uh, two times and road world championships. I think this would would have been my uh, I think fifth fifth road world championships um, including my U23 world championship yes. races. But by far the fans at, in Flanders was they were just incredible like the the noise the the cheers were just deafening for almost the entire race and after the finish I, for about 4 or 5 hours my ears were still just ringing from uh, from the people on the side of the road and yeah it was a it was a super special experience to uh, to race there and also to be right there on good legs was uh, especially special but <laughs> um yeah it was a, a super amazing experience and I um, just super proud to represent USA out there. And um, just whenever you pull a jersey that says USA on, then um, it's always a pretty special experience. But um, being able to do so in uh, such a, uh, a hub of cycling and um, just in an area steeped in cycling with fans that were so
0: passionate was really a pretty special yeah, experience. I should know this, but I don't. I, you you were the first Native American to race in the Tour de France which is a cool cool thing of course but do you know if you were mm. the first Native American to race a road world championships
1: uh, I actually don't know um, even with the Tour de France uh, that that information came through to me uh, just from other people I didn't I, I never really looked that up on my own but it was just something people came came to me with during the race and then after the race and um, for worlds, I'm actually not sure. I, I haven't uh, I haven't looked too deep into that, but it's possible. I'm sure there've been uh, um, yeah South American natives that have raced uh, yes. world championships, but I'm not too sure about North American natives. So
0: it'd be interesting. I'll, I'll, to find I'll try out, to do though. some more homework. and Holler back. Now tell me about <laughs> you know, more about the, about the course and worlds is is unique in in many ways compared to you know normally racing with a trade team and that one you're racing with your nation uh and two you're racing without radio so uh, could you tell us about you know one what the the u.s plan was going into that day and then two like what Mm -hmm. what communication is like and and if you prefer racing with a radio or without especially on like a a tight narrow Mm -hmm. very loud course like that
1: yeah so world's is always a pretty special event in that way. Um, everyone has to race more or less based on what they can see happening in the race and, um, and yeah, race based on how they feel. And, um, just they have to use their you has to you have to use your, your best judgment in whatever situation you're in and hope that you're making the right, the right decision. Um, but it's a very, it's, it's kind of a return to old school racing before radios, which is really neat in a lot of ways. Um, it does create a bit more, chaos during the race, uh, just in terms of, uh, if you have a mechanical, if you have some kind of an issue, um, it's not like you can just talk into your radio to tell you what's going on or what's wrong. So, um, yeah, I mean, in some ways it, it, it was a bit difficult with, um, just getting information in the car with us. Uh, Um, he was our director for the race, TJ van Garderen, and it was his, I believe his first race as, um, as the sole director, um, he just retired this season from, uh, his professional career. And I was actually racing with him earlier this year and, um, that now his role is switched and now he's, uh, in the car behind us. But, so that was also super, super cool. And it was really, uh, really fun. How to be did old TJ do and, in the car? Um, uh he didn't hit anybody uh he didn't hit any riders so (laughs) that's a that's a good uh that's a that's a good start um but he did good yeah i i went back to the car once in the early parts of the race uh got a few bottles and just uh had a brief chat with him and um yeah i think he was a bit nervous his first time driving the car in a in a in a peloton like that especially at world championships where you just have such a um, a, range, a wide range of, uh, I think, the level of riders that are in the race and the level of the drivers yes. that are in the caravan. So um, you definitely have to keep your head on a swivel. But
0: he, he, made, it, he made it through And a even bit. for <laughs> the veterans, both racers and directors, it's still mayhem. Because by, by definition, it's a race and they're you yeah. know, you're going as fast as you can and taking chances. And that applies to the drivers as, as well as the, the riders. Yeah. So, well, well, nice, nice work,
1: TJ. 100%. I think the drivers... Yeah. Yeah. I think the drivers in most in a lot of situations have uh, a bit more stress on them than the riders do when there's riders all over the road and you have to pay attention to, you know, guys coming up from behind. If if you have a guy on your bumper while you're trying to drive with one hand and pass, pass bottles off with your other hand and just looking at every mirror, checking if a rider is coming up on your right and your left behind in front. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's gotta be a pretty stressful situation for him, but, um, yeah, he did he did a great job so tell me <laughs>
0: again, what was the u.s plan going into the race
1: yeah yeah so we had we had a, a group of really strong guys but a group of pretty young guys as well um lawson cratic i think he's 28 now um 29 he was basically the the road captain and the oldest guy in the race with or the oldest guy on our team with probably the most experience um racing at that level and he's raced world championships a ton of times and he sort of knows how the race pans out. So TJ basically appointed him as our go-to for um, questions, answers during the race. But, um, in terms of our team tactic, we didn't really have a, a, a favorite in our, in our, in our group, mainly because we were a group of pretty young guys. So in a lot of ways that was an advantage because we knew that we had a group of strong guys. Um, we all just know how strong Brandon McNulty is, uh, when he gets a, a clear road to, to run on. Um, and then, Quinn Simmons is also a pretty, uh, pretty strong up-and-coming, I think, one-day racer. And he was just coming off of a stage race overall win at the Tour of Wallonie. And then I was just coming off of um, San Sebastian win and a couple really strong um, performances in, in Italian one-day races before Worlds. But with all that, we were still flying greatly under the radar. So um, we didn't have any pressure to, to pull or to like be setting the pace or anything. It was really just about, um, Brandon, um, Quinn and I looking for our opportunities in the race. The plan was really to, um, have Brandon and I looking for, um, a move to follow that was a bit further out than your typical, um, favorites, like to hopefully just get ahead of the race before the favorites really started to show themselves. And, TJ had just told us that in world championships, there's always a move that goes that's a bit further out than most people would expect. Maybe it's typically 70, 80 K to go, um, where a group of strong guys will try, try their luck, uh, before the favorites go to hopefully put themselves ahead of the race. And that's sort of the move that Brandon and I were looking for because, um, out of the three of us, Brandon and I were a bit less explosive than Quinn. And we believed that Quinn had enough, pop and him to um, be able to like follow the accelerations of some of the strongest guys there. So Brandon and I were looking for that move. That was a bit early. And in the end, it came very early. <laughs> um, Brandon followed the first semi dangerous move, which was um, included Remco Evan So it was a very um, strong move with about 200 K to go. And that was just, um (laughs) it was pretty insane that 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 it started it started off that early um but as soon as that happened it made me realize that i really needed to pay attention and stay up there for when for yeah if if brandon was if brandon if that group that brandon was in ended up coming back there was sure to be another group going uh, just to counter that one so just told myself i had to be ready for that and that's basically what happened as soon as brandon's group came back um a few k later on the um Louisville circuit before we went out to the cobbles for the final time, um, a group of riders started to go and I saw France go, I saw Italy go, I saw Denmark go and Belgium go. And I thought, shoot, those are like all the countries. Like those are the top countries here. I followed that move and that's basically set me up for the, for the result that I ended up achieving was getting into the group, getting ahead of, um, the race with, I think it was, it was over a hundred K to go. So it was still very early. Um, but, it basically put us onto the cobbles. Um, The last cobble sector that we hit, I think we had 30 seconds um, on the Peloton and the only ride favorites. So they caught us and then it was already just a group of 20 or I don't know, 15. Um, And from there, it was just a lot more clear how you needed to race. Remco was just riding the front, setting a hard tempo to pull the time out. So I just knew that as soon as we hit the circuit that um, we were going to have to, I was just going to have to pay attention and not get caught out because as soon as Remco stopped riding, then it was just no, no cohesive. Um, there was just no cohesion in the group. So, um, I just tried to roll towards the front, even if it took a bit more energy to stay in the front, I kept myself in the race that way. And, um, just, just basically had to keep, keep doing that. Just keep rolling into the front, never, never letting a gap open. And, um, just telling myself like put yourself back in the race. No, no matter how much like pain you're in, you just have to keep putting yourself back in, back into the front, um, just get back onto that wheel, just do everything you can to, to stay with the front group. And um, yeah, it ended up just setting me up for um, a really great result.
0: Watching from the press room, that's what it looked like is that you were on your absolute limit, uh, especially in the closing kilometers when it was, you know, down mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the chasing. Yeah, the chase well after you know when alpha Philippe attacked uh from yeah, the, from yeah. the video it looked like you were the one to you know to to try to follow there um and then when the when the attack started going, yeah, yeah it seems like you were just yeah, yeah. right right on the limit. um but would as you said, just kind of wick like wheeled yourself back yeah. onto the wheels,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean just always pushing towards the front and always trying to keep the race moving forward, especially when when alpha Philippe went i mean I was. I was hurting just like everyone else, I think, but I knew that even if I couldn't follow him, if I could just keep the race moving forward, then maybe we could sort of muster enough strength to, to chase him down. And I mean, unfortunately he was just way too strong, but um, I did try to follow as soon as he went. Um, Even though I knew it was going to be tough for me to, to follow the attack. I knew that if I just started to trying, if I just started to follow straight away, then it would be the, that was just the best chance that we had of, of catching him was just if everyone just, you know, tried to, <laughs> tried everything they could, um, gave everything they had to, to try and chase it down. And I mean, it was amazing. He was really amazing that day. It, I, every time that he attacked, um, it was just, it it blew me away. I mean, he, he just has so much, um, so much pop that he can just put 50 meters into everyone so fast that, you know, he can get the gap and once he gets the gap, then it's sort of a gamble um on if if everyone behind is gonna work together to chase him down. And we chased him down a few times, but eventually um everyone just uh had uh, yeah, everyone was just a bit too empty and just couldn't couldn't pull anymore. So yeah. A very deserved a very deserving world champion.
0: Absolutely, it's an <laughs> exceptional ride by him and a, and a great ride by yourself. So congratulations on that fifth place in Worlds. And then right back into it. So I want to you know talk about your race days. You know, you've, there's no no rest for the for the weary. I'm just looking at your your 2021 mm. schedule. You know, UAE <laughs> Tour seven days, Paris eight mm-hmm. days, Tour de to Romilly, Tour de to Suisse, Tour de to France, uh, and then just, mm. you know uh, at least like eight days of one day racing. So how? i'm just curious like how your season is mapped out and could you walk us through you know who's you know are you the master of your own destiny sitting there with the the notebook at the beginning of the seasons and calling the shots like here's what i'm going to do or is it the director or uh, i'm guessing it's a, a mix of, of the the two so could you, could you explain to us like how your your personal race calendar comes about
1: yeah yeah typically we'd get a call from charlie wigelius es head director um, in either November or December. And he'll come to each rider with a schedule after speaking with the coaches and the other directors on the team and a schedule that they that they feel is best suited to the rider that they're, that they're working with. And this last winter that came, um, I think November, Charlie called me up and told me that he wanted me to start the year in UAE because it was a good opportunity to um, just test myself on an uphill finish, um, race a time trial. Um, and it could have been a, a decent opportunity for an early season result because at least for myself, um, it doesn't take me a super long time to, um, to get into race fitness. I, it seems, it feels like I only need a few, like, I mean, maybe one, one month and then I'm basically as good as I need to be, um, to, to go to a race. And, so the plan was to start racing pretty early with UAE and then, um, follow it up with some, some more stage races until, um, yeah, just go to, to Perry nice after, after UAE. And hopefully with, uh, the main goal being Perry nice, but this season, the way that worked out was, uh, I ended up being a bit stronger in UAE than Perry nice. And, um, after Perry nice, I, um, I took a short break, maybe like three or four days off. Um, and then I, my plan was to prepare for the Ardennes, um, Liege, fleche Alone, um, Lombard, uh, uh, Amstel. And unfortunately that sort of got sidelined, um, uh, because a few weeks before, um, about oh, two weeks before I was supposed to, um, go for those races, I got COVID and had to, uh, isolate and sort of re restructure the season. But, basically in the, in the winter, they laid out my schedule through, um, through the Ardennes. And then they said, after you finish the Ardennes, we'll see how you're feeling and, um, hopefully you can aim to race the tour. And that's basically what a lot of guys end up getting is you really only get your schedule through the first half of the year, because I mean, I mean, even like this year, you know, it's a bit of an extreme example, but I got COVID in the spring and then everything needed to be changed. So yeah, basically after the, After the tour, um, luckily I went to race the tour, which was a great experience for my second time. And I had a chat with with Charlie, and um, he sort of let me know what his thoughts were for the second half of the year, which was San Sebastian, back to the states for um, about a month of training, and then um, just one day races um, in in Italy. So, yeah, it's it sort of changes throughout the year, sort of changes on the go based on illness, injury
0: uh, of yourself and other riders. Lots of moving pieces, both both yours and the, the rest of the teams. So one, one piece of the puzzle I'm curious about is, is, is gravel. Yeah. You know, I've seen your sister, Shayna uh flying the 2024 kit at a few gravel mm-hmm. races. And uh, just here in Boulder, Colorado, a little birdie was telling me that you're slated to do yeah. a Big Sugar, one of Lifetime's races, a new one down in Arkansas. So first, can you <laughs> confirm or deny, Mr. Pallas, whether you will be making an appearance at uh, the Big Sugar gravel race? this year
1: um i will confirm that big sugar is a goal of mine but i cannot confirm that i actually have a um a lot of information as to how or when (laughs) i would be getting there (laughs) um so in my mind i'm racing big sugar and i can't wait to be uh, on the start line there with uh, the new cannondale gravel bike but um yeah i'm still trying to work out the details in terms of how and when i'm getting there because uh I've got to get back to America <laughs> first, but um, yeah, I'm super excited. And um, the other team uh, called me up and asked me if uh, I was available and if I wanted to race it. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been looking for an opportunity to to race on the dirt again. So yeah, I'm, I'm really now, excited. Now You've done
0: a lot of mountain bike racing in your past. Have you yeah. done any gravel events?
1: I've never raced a gravel race. No, I think the last, the last race that I did uh, on the dirt was actually world championships as a U23 mountain bike worlds. And, um, sorry, not as E23 as a junior in, in, uh, in Norway, Hothville. And that was 2015. That was the last time that I've raced my bike on off the pavement. So it's been (laughs) a while, while, but, uh, I'm really excited to, to get back into it.
0: Tell us what you're excited for next season. You've got a contract with EF through 2024. Is that correct?
1: 2024 twenty twenty four yeah All right. so that's that's, that's right.
0: a, as, as pro cycling contracts go that's a nice secure future what, uh, you know what what races or places or things are you excited about for for next season?
1: basically, I mean, I haven't talked to um, Charlie or any of the directors about um, exact goals for next season, but I think it would be a pretty similar um, similar schedule that I had this season um, I'll bet with the Ardennes. (laughs) So I think for my, myself, I I really would like to start the season hot again in UAE. Um, And then yeah, yeah, in more ways than one. (laughs) And then, um, and then, yeah, really just from there hope to uh, be on track for the Ardennes. I'd really like to sort of put my stamp on one day racing next year, just based on how the second half of the season has gone. Um, I've just been, I've, I have so much fun racing one day races. I mean, it's just so much excitement and a lot of, um, I don't know, there's luck involved. There's a lot of, you know, you don't always have time to, to, to radio back to the car and the decisions that you're making on the road. So you can't always really use your radio. Your radio is almost always there just for your director to sort of just give the updates that, um, that the commissaires are giving him of time gaps and who's up the road. And, but in terms of when and where you need to ride or attack, a lot of that does come down to just instinct when you're out on the road. And I think just, that's what I love about one day racing is you just, there's a lot more instinct involved than stage races where it's so much more controlled and, um, planned, uh, in one day racing, there's so much more chaos and, um, yeah excitement I would say so hopefully some more of that in the Ardennes because those races I think would suit me a bit Yeah, um, agreed. pretty
0: well yeah <laughs> if the you know world championships was an indication then you'd be right at home there and it'd be uh, good good playground battleground for you and uh, great entertainment for those of us watching it so B- best 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 yeah. of luck to you and yeah. I hope to uh, uh, see you in Arkansas if, if you can make it uh, or if not uh, uh, back in Europe next year. but Nielsen Palace, thank you very much for your time. All I right. appreciate you uh, making a spot there on the floor of the the, the hotel hallway to g- get the Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm glad uh, we could work this out and <laughs> I'm sorry, I hope it wasn't too uh, too difficult with the, the signal but um, <laughs> that's the best I've got right now.
0: <laughs> thank you, Nielsen. have a good evening.
1: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: The science of speed, Shimano's design philosophy for its latest road groups, is comprised of five elements. A new Di2 platform, a refined interface, the addition of Hyperglide Plus, a category redefining brake system, and a collection of new wheels. The result is a clean wireless cockpit, faster shifting, enhanced brake control, and quicker, more stable wheels. Top that with an easy-to-use eTube Project smartphone app, and connecting with your bike and enjoying the ride has never been better. Our fearless road warrior Saïve O'Shea has been covering race after race after race. She was at the World Championships from the time trials through the road races, carried on through Peru Bay. And now she is back in England at the Women's Tour, where she caught up with Elisa Balsamo. Let's go to that interview now.
2: My name is Saïve. I'm from Dallon News. Okay. Um, First of all, just uh, how are you and how are you enjoying uh, the Women's Tour? Uh, Yes, it's my first time here at the Women's Tour and uh, I really like this race uh, uh, yesterday there was some rain and it was uh, an hard stage uh, but uh, yes the stages are uh, good and uh, also racing with this jersey is uh, uh, awesome for me yeah what does it feel like every time you get to pull on this jersey uh, yes uh, uh, um, I have a lot of uh, good feelings and uh, for me, it's unbelievable and... Um, uh, I don't know, uh, it's like a dream. Yeah, do, do you still realise yet what you were able to do? Uh, I'm starting to realise uh, now with the jersey every day, with the bike and... Uh, yes, day by day. And to be able to, to beat somebody like Mariana Vos... Yes. Did, did you, when you were younger, did you look up to her? Yes, uh, I think she... Is one of the most uh, successful uh, girls uh, in cycling, and uh, uh, she's uh, like an uh, example for me. And yes, for me, when uh, Leuven, I uh, uh, arrive uh, first and... Uh, uh, she's second is um, I don't know something unbelievable how, how do you look on this season as in total do, um, was it a good season for you before the world championships uh, yes uh, I did a great uh, spring uh, um, with some good uh, results in the spring classics uh, then uh, I train a lot for the track uh, Olymp- Olympian games uh, but uh, yes, uh, mm, Tokyo <laughs> uh, didn't didn't go uh, as I hope uh, and this uh, world champion is uh, like a revenge for me yeah how after the Olympics how mentally do you um, kind of prepare for yes it was very hard for me uh, mentally Uh, and yes some people helped me a lot like my boyfriend my coach my nutrition and thanks to them I'm here today and I won this jersey without them it, it was impossible and next year you will be in in Trek what are you hoping with this team and for yourself uh, yes, uh, uh, it's a big change for me and I hope to grow up uh, and learn a lot from uh, such a great champion like uh, uh, Lisa Borghini, Lizzie Denian, Ellen Van Dijk and all the other girls uh, in track. And to, to work with somebody like Ina as tuttenberg as well as a, as a sprinter yourself, yes. how is that? Uh, I really think that she can uh, teach me a lot uh, because she was... Uh, a super strong sprinter and so uh, yes uh, uh, she can uh, give me give me a lot of advice and uh, help yeah and lastly um people see you as a, as a sprinter but do you see yourself as something more some, uh, more rounded rider uh, yes uh, I think uh, I'm not only a sprinter but a good uh, classic rider uh, <laughs> if I wasn't like the, that I wouldn't uh, win in uh, Leuven because it wasn't a sprint uh, race but uh, uh, yes yeah after winning the world championships what is your next big race that you would like to win uh, I always dream to win uh, a Spring Classics, maybe Gand or uh, Flandre. I I really like them. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Grazie.
0: Thanks very much for that, Sive. And that does it for us. Now next week we will be back With our own Bijou Thomas Who I am happy to say Is now part of the Outside Armada Many of you may know Bijou From his series of cookbooks The Feed Zone series That he did with Alan Lim Of Scratch Labs Now Bijou is Inside Outside Doing a lot of great food-based content and cooking up some delicious stuff for those of us inside, outside, and connecting with riders about the best thing that they should be doing for themselves before, during, and after their rides in terms of nutrition. So we'll have some good stuff next week with Bijou about what you can do and uh, some some of his tales from the road. In the meantime, have a great rest of your week and thanks for listening to the VeloNews Podcast.